So when it comes to soccer tactics, uh, I'm actually pretty ignorant in that area, but uh, in my research and my study of Anson Dorrance, the women's coach at North Carolina, um, I've learned that he ran a 3-4-3, which is a fairly untraditional uh, soccer formation, especially uh, for his time uh, when he started to run it. Now, since Dorrance started running the 3-4-3, uh, back in the 80s, many coaches have tried to copy uh, the, that formation, and they've done it unsuccessfully. Right? They've been very unsuccessful in implementing that formation. And the reason for that is because they don't understand why. They don't understand why he picked that formation. It reminds me of when I was an early coach, and I adored John Wooden, and I tried to uh, implement the UCLA high post offense um, with some 13, 14, and 15-year-olds that had very little fundamental skills in Ireland. And I was very obviously very, very unsuccessful uh, at applying that. And, and here's the thing is I, most coaches were looking for that tactical, that, 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 that strategy that we can implement that's gonna help us to win more games. And, and there is definitely incredible value in making sure that you, have, you, are, you are tactically sound in your program. But what makes Dorn so special and what makes John Wooden so special isn't the formation or the style of offense they picked out. Uh, what makes them so special is that style of play feeds their culture. It feeds their culture. John Wooden wanted an offense that everyone was touching the ball, everyone was involved, and that's what, how he designed the UCLA's high post offense. Anson Dorrance wanted a strategy, a style of play that, as he said, allowed players to play the game the way it was attended. He wanted aggressive players who would go one-on-one -on -one with each other and they would push themselves to score goals even if it was even if it created a risk of having goals scored against them. He wanted a style of play that was exciting to watch and to be a part of. So in today's episode, Nate and I are joined by Randy Sherman from Radius Athletics to really kind of dive into how our strategy feeds our culture. Our strategy feeds our culture. And we're gonna discuss some fairly untraditional ways to come up with the strategy and style of play that best fits your team. Welcome to the Coaching Culture Podcast. I'm JP Nurbin alongside my co-host, Nate Sanderson. And every week in 30 minutes or less, we're giving you transformational leadership tools and strategies. This podcast is brought to you by Thrive On Challenge, which provides mentorship for coaches to help them grow as a coach and build their culture. You can learn more at thriveonchallenge.com. You're listening to episode 87, aligning your style of play with your purpose and values. Today we are sharing part of our conversation with Randy Sherman, who is a sports consultant, helping coaches in the tactical parts of their game. And we're answering the question, what is the right strategy for our team culture? Because we really do believe that our strategy feeds our culture. The way Nate and I chose to produce this episode is actually a little different than usual as we really wanted to dive deeper into some of the great questions and strategies Randy shared with us. So just a heads up there. Um, now, I personally know that it drives me crazy when you listen to a great podcast, but I have to actually go back and listen uh, to it again just to take the notes. So we've cut out all that work for our listeners by creating the Coaching Culture Coaching Notes PDF every week. Uh, so if you're new to the podcast, just a reminder, 
Go to thriveonchallenge.com. Subscribe to the newsletter there to get the coaching notes every week. Now, let's jump into this question of what is the right strategy for our team culture. Yeah, so we're excited to have Randy Sherman here on the podcast today from Radius Athletics. Um, Randy does phenomenal work with coaches in basketball, uh, but his work, I think, transcends all sports because he does some really powerful things to help coaches really develop a program identity. And mm-hmm. I think the way that we play uh, the sport, whether it be basketball, soccer, or whatever, our kind of style of play also is correlated with some in some ways with our culture. And so why don't you just share with our listeners a little bit about your background in coaching and how it brought you to do what you do now and tell us what it is exactly you do. So I was a high school basketball coach in Texas for 11 years and my passion is basketball and, and, and things like that. But I, I was able to, to, with the encouragement of a couple of really good coaching friends who encouraged me, like, you know, some of the things you did when you coached and the way you approached the job and the X's and O's, I think it's really unique. And some of these friends encouraged me to begin sharing on social media and through blogs and things like that. Some of, some of my ideas, I didn't really set out to, for it to be a business. I set out for it to be just a release of some of that information, you know, just, just sharing. Um, but it was well received by coaches and, and lots of questions and interest and, and basically, I just lend my eyes and ears and opinions to coaches, and and I help make them aware of you know the pluses and minuses of the things they're doing on the court. Advise them on you know when I've felt similar problems to they face, how I've solved them, and how I've worked through them, and just just almost like just an unbiased, unfiltered sounding board for coaches. Yeah, what's cool is you've kind of developed kind of a community of coaches, coaches that. Yeah. You know, you're not just supporting them, but there's kind of support in each other, which I think is really unique. And, you know, I've been fortunate to actually work with some of the coaches that have been a part of uh, mm-hmm. your consulting work and a part of your community. And what I really enjoy about those coaches that come that have been working with you for some time is, I mean, these are coaches that really are invested in their own growth and, and really mm-hmm. open to outside opinions on, and feedback on how to do things better. Right. You know the, the the community bond that's that has developed among the coaches I work with is probably the most rewarding thing about it. Like like I know for a fact some of these guys who have never even met face to face talk and converse and share ideas, and I was able to make that connection. And to me, that's just it's just humbling and 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 super powerful. Yeah. So Randy, I think what the, you've done with the community thing is is really special, and. I think that this is something that we're seeing more of where coaches are lending towards people just because of technology uh, for not just going to coaching clinics and getting more information, but getting more advice and people looking to tailor offenses, defenses, culture things that fit their Mm -hmm. program and their personnel. Now, Mm -hmm. one of the big things that you do that I think works across all sports is you work with coaches to help them kind of create a program identity. Uh, that's something that I've heard you talk a little bit about. Can you share that with, with the listeners? When I first began doing this, I thought what it would be would be, you know, sharing diagrams and plays and drills and things. And, and as I began listening to coaches and, and, and talking with them, I, I kind of discovered an, an untapped 
area that I felt like I could help them with. And, and a lot of coaches like had, were just that I, that I encountered were, were coaching kind of just all over the map, right? Like they're just trying this, trying that, trying this and hoping something sticks to the wall and, and works. Right. And, 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 um, so I saw a real need of, of like, Whoa, we, we've got to have a lot of conversations before we get into what drills and what plays we're going to run. Right. So, um, one of the things we talk about is, is as a coach, whether it's basketball, soccer, lacrosse, whatever sport, um, as a coach, brand your program and, and develop an identifiable style of play. Right. And, and articulate that, make it known to the players, your assistant coaching staff, and and brand it so hard into the way you practice and play that like anyone watching you play would would watch your team and come up with the takeaways. Like this team is really good at X, Y, and Z. Like not only a coach would watch you, but like even a casual fan and say, like, man, those guys really run the floor hard, or those those girls really, you know, move the ball well, you know. Focus in on some things that you have decided to be great at and, and stick to it and let it let it let it come to fruition. Well, JP, Randy brings up a good point there about the necessity of having important conversations before you get into the place where you're choosing your type of drills or the type of plays or your type of defense that you're going to run. And, you know, consistent with what we've been talking about here on this podcast for months and months is really being able to drill down to your why and understanding your purpose. And now I think the question is, how do you translate that purpose into some of your systems or style of play? Yeah, Nate, so that part of the conversation with Randy really made me think about a conversation I was having actually just last week with a high school coach. And this high school coach is trying to develop his youth program that kind of feeds into his high school. And he wants to better support his coaches. And so we've been kind of revisiting a lot of the things that they do within the program. And one of the first things that we needed to do was kind of really identify what was the purpose, what was the mission of this youth basketball program. And we ended up coming up with the idea, or the, the, the purpose of to create a positive basketball experience for the youth of the community. That was it. And from there, it was like, okay, well, what is a positive experience? Like what, what will kids enjoy? And we looked at, well, every kid wants to play. Every kid wants to score. Every kid wants to touch the ball. And every kid really wants to actually feel like they're getting better out there. And those principles, those standards, would then guide everything else within the program as far as the offense they run, the defense they run, the drills that they would run. Because they, but we had to start with that, right? The, the purpose and the values. JP, I want to take that even a step further for coaches because you know when it comes down to, we can use your example of building a youth team, it's one thing to write in your manual that we're trying to create a great experience for kids and allow them to play and touch the ball and you know all the things that you talked about there. But if the coach goes out on a weekend tournament and just runs pick and roll for their best player and only the best player gets to bring the ball up the floor and only the best player gets to take the most shots or the most shots when it matters or whatever, what's in the manual doesn't actually matter because you're communicating with your style of play. You're communicating what's really important to you as a coach. So if you continue to run things that benefit you because you win or you take advantage of you know, having the best player in a 10U tournament, then that's what's going to communicate to players. That's what's going to communicate to parents. 
not what you put in the manual. I think that's why it's so important to have these initial conversations about what's so important to you as a coach so that you're clear in choosing systems and styles and practice procedures that communicate those values, that communicate the why in terms of what you're doing. So in my conversation with Randy, my next question was, what are some things, what are some strategies, what are some questions that you use with coaches to help them solidify their identity, the identity of their program and that style of play? And he gave us some great questions, I think, for any coach to ponder. I try to encourage them to think less about the players and think more about how they want to play, right? It's really hard for me to, you know, sometimes a coach, when I'm talking to them about establishing some pillars and some, pl- and some program identity, while I'm talking in their head, they're envisioning their returning letterman, right? And like, so they might, yeah, that sounds great, but like, I don't have the players for that, right? And, and um, I'm not saying just ignore the hand you've been dealt, and, but, but I think if I would like to move coaches maybe more along that spectrum of being reactive to being proactive, to like deciding how we're going to play instead of reacting to the hand I've been dealt a little bit more. Um, you know, I think you can kind of choose your future as a coach um, if, you, if you do this. And a lot of great programs in all sports, all levels, high school, college, like when you watch them, you know what you're going to get, right? Year after year, players graduate, players move on through trades and free agency at the professional level or graduate at the high school and college level. But the coach remains and there's different guys or girls in the uniform, but like I, they play the same way. And, and um, I think a lot of coaches just maybe don't want to deal with the growth curve that it takes to get to that level. Um, but, but that's what I try to push more of the guys I work with towards. So if you ask me where the pillars start, I always encourage coaches to say, okay, try to try to block out your returning letterman. Try to t- block out your players. And I'm just talking to you, Nate, and to you, JP. How do you want your teams to play? Like in a perfect world, what would it look like? And describe that to me. And and do your do your dead level best to 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 not think about, you know the five guys I've got coming back on my soccer team or the, you know, the, the three lettermen I've got coming back on my basketball team or whatever, and think about, okay, what do, what do I enjoy watching? What do I enjoy coaching? Right. And, and start there because if you're enjoy, if you enjoy the work you're doing, you're going to, that passion's going to, to, to come with you to work every day instead of, you know, coaching a style that maybe you're just not so fired up about uh, because you think it, will will you know fit better like really aim high with what you want to do you know jp when randy asked that question of how do you want your team to play or what do i enjoy watching as a coach you know to me my mind doesn't immediately go to a particular style of play or a particular system of play but i think more in terms of i want my players to be selfless like regardless of what we're running, I want my players to be servants of one another. I want them to celebrate each other. I want them to work hard, you know? And I think by expanding that question a little bit, rather than just thinking about our tactics and our, our systems, one of the interesting things about my journey from Springville to Linmar is to now look back after two years at Linmar and sort of compare what are, what are the consistencies between 
the two programs. We're doing a lot of different things on the floor. Our offense looks different. Our defense is different. But our teams have really strong culture with kids that really care about each other, that get along great on and off the floor, that are really supportive of each other, that share the ball, you know, that work hard all the time, you know, and those are the things that I'm, I'm really proud of as a coach. Those are the things that I want to represent our program because again, it ties back to what we talked about before. It stems from our purpose, our purpose that we've translated into values and values then that we hope translate into what we do on the floor. Well, and I think it comes back to the whole idea around what we were talking about earlier with Anson Dorrance. You know, I don't think he really cares so much about whether his formation is the right formation, right? He he didn't go and pick out that formation because he thought that was the best tactical advantage. He wanted a formation that matched up with the values of aggress- ag- aggressive players, players that would take on each other, that were looking to score, that were fierce competitors. And... That's kind of what he has stayed consistent within his program over time. Not just the formation, but the attitude, the the way their players walk onto the onto the field. That has stayed consistent. And so I think that you know you take him and you put him at the Olympic or level and also at the World Cup level, and that was what was consistent on his teams there, right? It wasn't so much this idea of all oh, that the formation, but it was the way that they played out there. It's the kind of the way they carried themselves. And I think the thing that we're trying to encourage coaches to to think about their style and system is as a conduit for your values. In other words, it's hard for me to to preach selflessness and service and then put my best player at the top of the key and tell everyone else to go stand in the corner and watch them watch them play, right? And so there there has to be that consistency from purpose to values to style of play that communicates the things that are most important to you. So in the next part of our conversation with Randy, uh, we bring up this idea of the player-led culture, which is something that we've talked a lot about on the Coaching Culture podcast. But Randy makes some really uh, great points about how the style of play that we pick for our team can actually help us to build that player-led culture. What we're doing on the court or what we're doing on the field is a really integral part of becoming a player-led team. Check out what he had to say. When it comes to the tactics a lot of coaches dictate those things to their players, right? Like, like make this cut when you pass here. It's not a maybe, it's not a, it's not, it's just based right on the diagram, right? Like just do this uh, instead of, instead of more of a critical thinking approach to play of, of reacting to space and ball movement and, and uh, you know, uh, reading the defender, things like that. Um, so what we, that's something we try to do is move coaches to more, you know, more of a, of a player directed style of play where the players on the court are making decisions and reads and they have an actual hand into the shots we create, whether it be, you know, shots on goal or, or, or field goals attempted in basketball or whatever, they have a hand in that through their understanding of the game rather than just carrying out what the coach says. So we definitely push coaches toward more of a decision-based type offense, offensive approach, than, than just run this play, and if it doesn't work, so I'll call another one, right? <laughs> you know, um, and again, it just goes back to, to that's a rewarding experience for players, right? When they start to feel like they know more about the sport they're playing, and their knowledge leads to that ball going through the basket or that ball going in the net more, like, they're excited. That, that, that feels good to them. I'm learning. I'm growing, right? Um, 
in, instead of just obeying and complying. And, and that's where we try to get coaches who, who maybe have played for coaches. They don't know any other way. Their experience as a player was, was an, from an autocratic coach who was, who was coach centered and, and they translate that into their coaching and it just, it just perpetuates almost like generationally, right? Like, so, so if they've never been exposed to like how to actually carry out, you know, the tactics and the technical things to teach those things, that's where I think I can, where we step in and show them like, Hey, it can be done. This is how you do it. They just haven't really been even exposed to that style. So Nate, I love this part of our conversation with Randy because he's touching on something I think is really, really important. If all we do is coach a bunch of robots and we have every movement, every action on the on the court or on the field is prescribed, then we'll never be a player-led team, right? Because they're never making choices or decisions out there. And that may seem like a little, like a small component, but I really think it largely feeds and impacts our culture the strategy that we're using there. And if we all, we all we're having is this system where everyone's just, everything is prescribed or doing this. Well, that's not going to translate well to a player led culture. We're going to struggle with that. But if we're empowering our players to make decisions, we're saying, I trust you to make choices out on the court or on the field. Now they're much more likely when we bring them outside of that off the court or off the field, that's going to carry over and translate into other decision-making opportunities within our culture. JP, the process you're describing here really reminds me a lot of the the three main drivers of human behavior that Daniel Pink talks about in his book Drive, where you know he references autonomy and having that freedom within what you're doing, the idea of mastery and getting better and improving, and then being honed in on a purpose for what you're doing. And in a lot of ways, we're we're incorporating all those things in this conversation in terms of how you're building your style. And you know, the other thing that stuck out to me, what Randy said there was that that players have to understand the game for it to be their game. Um, And I think as coaches, we have a responsibility not just to teach plays, but to teach players more about the game itself so that they can be empowered to make adjustments. They can be empowered to make decisions when they're on on the field or when they're on the court. Um, But sometimes we don't necessarily embrace that role of explaining more about the game itself rather than just prescribing behaviors, as you talked about before. So I've had uh, the pleasure of watching a few of the teams that uh, Randy does some consulting with, and it's actually really, really special uh, to watch because, you know, as we talked about there, there earlier, the, the, there's the player-centered culture, right? They're make out, they're making decisions, but what they're doing is actually really, really, really simple, and every player on the court understands what they're doing and why they're doing it, and Randy helps coaches, I think, bring this about. Um, because of this kind of this core philosophy around essentialism, essentialism and coaching. And that was my next question uh, and, and topic that I wanted to discuss with Randy. So listen to what he talks about uh, on the importance of essentialism in our, in our system and style of play. I think, I think that's a big first step is, is sort of eliminating some of the, the, the cargo and, and that, that coaches carry around in their playbooks that, that really if we're really honest, just kind of has low value. Like we, we run this play every now and then and it, and it gets us a basket every now and then, but like, you got to work on it a lot just to get that yield. Right. So like, it's just, you're just sort of carrying it around and, and an accumulation of those things tends to just drag you down and, and take away from, 
from really becoming great at high impact things like spacing, ball movement, player movement, and just letting those things generate points. And, and then the inverse of that on the defensive end, you know, destroying spacing, in, inhibiting ball movement and, 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 you know, uh, cutting off player movement. Just so, um, you know, I think that's a good first step is to just sort of a, for coaches just to like look at their playbooks, look at their drill library and start to think about, you know, how good is this? Why am I still carrying this around? Like, like, come on, you know, like, and, and just be ruthless about, you know, um, if this really doesn't fit those things that I've articulated about how I want my teams to look and play, why am I doing it? Why am I carrying around? Just wad it up and get rid of it, right? So sitting down and coming up with what you want your identity to be uh, as a program or even as a coach, that's actually uh, the easiest step. Uh, and Randy dives into what is the hardest part of this process. Uh, and he shares this in the last part of our conversation here. What's the hardest part? What's next, right? So we, I touched on it briefly. So, so the, the, hard, the, the two hardest parts that, that, that follow this articulation of how you want to see your teams play and how you want the, the game to look and feel when your teams are playing it seems hard, but the, 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 easy, the, the next hardest part is, is then going back and just deleting things that don't fit with it. Because you have emotional things, emotional ties to things you've been doing, the time you've been spending. That's hard, right? The really though, the hardest part is, okay, I've got my pillars, I've got our team identity, we've, we've put a practice plan in place, we've deleted things and we, we, we're aiming toward these things now. The actual hardest part is when your season comes and you roll it out and you get beat by 20 in your first game. And you, you, know, you start off one and four and the community is rumbling about like, this coach right here, you know, <laughs> doesn't, you know, the, the actual hardest part is is letting the cake bake, right? And committing to it and sticking to that process when the growth curve isn't instantaneous, right? When when you're when you're when you've taken your team to a higher order level of thinking on the court or on the pitch, and they're gonna struggle, they're gonna make mistakes, and and resisting the urge as a as a coach to pick up that joystick again and start dictating everything and not not allowing, you know, the learning to take place. You kind of got to roll these things out there, get them on film and say like, okay, now look, here's, here's an example of a decision that we've worked on plenty of times that in game application, you just kind of missed and, and you just bring those instances of, of, of bring those instances of those, those, you know, faulty decisions down. You got to roll it out there. You got to put it out there and let it iterate. Right. And, and, um, and I think that's just something that a lot of coaches through a lot of emotional reasons, a lot of community pressures, it's just can't quite maybe get there. Um, and it's not a matter of their inability. It's a matter of just impatience and, and not, not dealing with it looking ugly early and, and, um, and, and sticking, sticking through the hard times. This last point that Randy makes is so, so important because it doesn't just apply to our style of play, um, our strategy that we use here or the drills that we're implementing. It applies to our culture. And this is why I'm so passionate about mentorship and building a community of support because it's a hard, hard road. We try things and they don't go well all the time. And we need to have people around us to support us uh, as we move forward and building our culture and growing as a coach. 
Coaches, if you've been wrestling with this process we described in this episode today about trying to hone in on your purpose, wanting to build your culture around values that manifest themselves in your systems and your practices and in all the things that you do in your program, then we want to extend an invitation to you to join us in Park City, Utah this July 22nd through the 25th where we at Thrive on Challenge are gathering a community of like-minded coaches together to do something that is different from any other coaching clinic or conference than you might have experienced. Over the course of three days, we are going to share in some learning experiences that you can take back to work with your teams to build your culture. We're going to talk about how the brain works to formulate emotions, to not only better understand ourselves as coaches, but to better understand the people that we work with, our players, the parents in our program, our administrators. And hopefully when we leave three days later, that we are built a community that is supportive of one another with relationships that will continue long after this retreat is over. If you're interested in joining us in Park City, then click on the button at the top of this week's newsletter to schedule a call and get more information. Now that's it for today's episode. I can't thank Randy Sherman enough uh, for coming on the podcast. He made so many great points out there, asked so many questions I think that are very applicable for us as not just basketball coaches, but any other coaches out there. You can learn more uh, about Randy at RadiusAthletics.com. Follow him on Twitter at RadiusAthletics, or you can email him at Randy at RadiusAthletics.com. I'll put his other details in the information uh, uh, for this episode. 